Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines delivering and protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I am pleased to be joined by my good friend, Phil Davis. Hey, Ed, how are you? Phil, and you are... Attorney for Cybersecurity and Privacy, Healthcare Cybersecurity and Privacy. At That's right. As of, render. as of render. about, I don't know, one month ago, maybe. <laughs> I'm about, I'm in my fifth <laughs> week here. Yeah. So right. attorney at Hall Render, Killian Heath and Lyman, which is a healthcare focused firm, actually mm-hmm. one of, if not the largest healthcare focused firm in the nation. And as you mentioned, I'm in the information technology, cybersecurity privacy compliance practice group there and fresh off a career transition, I guess you could say. So prior to joining the firm, I was CISO for a nonprofit healthcare provider organization here in in Indianapolis where I'm based and was lucky enough to be there for a little over a decade, eventually leading up to serving as their chief information security officer for a couple of years before making the transition into law practice. I had had a had a law degree and had passed the bar essentially for the whole tenure that I was at uh, the previous organization and kind of finally decided to make the jump, make the leap. And so here I am in a law firm setting for the first time after mm-hmm. <laughs> after a now, decade. Now, I cheated too. You originally started off at a law firm, right? I did. I had a brief, what my colleagues lovingly referred to as a sabbatical. Five months uh, early, <laughs> <laughs> early in my IT tenure. Yeah took a brief foray into mm. practicing law when I was doing kind of small firm family laws, actually what I was doing a lot of it at that point, and uh, was not for me <laughs> in, yeah. in the long run. I only lasted about three or four months before going back into IT, and at that point had identified security as real passion, and so the rest was history after that. But I get ribbed quite a bit from my former colleagues for my brief sabbatical. Well, that attorney CISO combination, I think we joked about is equivalent to the plus 16 paladin cleric multiclass <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons or d and oh, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> so, I assume that's good. That's a superpower. Oh, it's really good, actually. So you can cause a lot of damage with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's good, but... Uh, well, in a good way. Damage at least the ability to cause the damage, maybe. <laughs> that's right. Excellent, excellent. So tell me about your journey into healthcare. Why healthcare? You could have probably gone into other industries, finance, or... Yeah, that's a good question. I've heard you say this before, and it resonates so much with me. I love the mission of healthcare. Yeah. It is... For my book, the easiest mission to get behind in the world is taking care of vulnerable people, people who are in need of care, people who are hurting people, a lot of times in kind of the most vulnerable populations. That's the mission of healthcare. And being in that setting, like I said, for over a decade, you really catch the bug for just supporting the caregivers that are on the front lines, providing the care. That was one of my favorite things about being in a healthcare organization was interacting with the leaders and frontline caregivers who are hands-on with patients, the mission just really, really resonates. And once you kind of get a whiff of it and you're ingrained in that culture, it stays with you. And like I mentioned, making the jump into law practice, coming here has made just absolute sense because it is a healthcare-focused firm, right. staying yeah. you know, firmly in rooted in, in the healthcare <laughs> industry and supporting many organizations as opposed to maybe even just one. And so yeah. the mission is absolutely my favorite part of it. Yeah, you've broadened your span of control now. You can actually touch a number of 
health systems, whereas before you were solely focused and you can go deep in that one system, but. Right. And it's so interesting to see how different organizations tackle the same problem. Mm -hmm. And in healthcare, there's a lot of opportunity for that because regulations like HIPAA, high tech, right? They're not prescriptive. They give you kind of some broad guardrails to uh, operate within, and then they let you figure out how to implement them for your own organization. And so- And come back and tell you when something bad happens, right? Exactly. Oh, you were supposed to do this. Wait a minute. (laughs) Exactly. And what I found is that most healthcare provider organizations anyways, most healthcare providers are dealing with the same challenges. They're getting asked the same questions. They're having to come up with the same solutions, but how they go about addressing the problem can be very different depending Mm -hmm. on the organization, which is very interesting to see. Why do you think that is? It always fascinates me because it's like, well, if we all did it this way, we might get some leverage through the community. Why do you think we all try to solve the problem ourselves? It's a good question. I think organizational context is key to problem solving. Something that might work at your large 30,000 employee healthcare provider probably won't work at your rural hospital that has one or two IT staff total and kind of executive relationships and how the various dynamics play out between all your various departments, I think all goes into that too. And just different contexts can produce different processes, different results. And so I think in healthcare, context matters so much just because you have such a wide variety of types of organizations that are dealing with those problems. That's a great point. And how does your experience and work in healthcare directly with a provider set you up for this next role? Something that I found, and this is not a knock on other attorneys or firm contexts at all, but I think it helps to have an understanding of what is reasonable to recommend in a certain situation versus maybe what's not so reasonable to recommend. Just as an example, there was once a time where we were dealing with an issue, we're talking to lawyers, you know, as you do. And one of the recommendations that we got was, okay, well, why don't you go out and interview there was a list of, I don't know, 185, 200 people. And they're like, why don't you go talk to them and find out what they were doing, what they were thinking, <laughs> et cetera. And thus, us on the organization side, we're kind of thinking, have you ever <laughs> tried to contact 200 people? We <laughs> we have a hard time getting 200 people to read an email, let alone yeah, exactly. uh, sit for an interview <laughs> and, and explain <laughs> what they were thinking at a given time. So things like that, I think having that contextual awareness of, okay, I've sat in that seat before and I've had to actually operationalize a recommendation and know the challenges and the roadblocks that you run up against. And so knowing what's reasonable and maybe what's not so reasonable, I think is a big help. The flip side is you probably know which questions to ask too, because you know where the bodies are buried, (laughs) so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully no bodies are buried anywhere, but... uh, Yeah, I think that that goes a long way. It's having a context of maybe knowing what you don't know in certain Mm -hmm. situations and what questions would be good to ask to get to a place where you are comfortable can come in really handy in a lot of situations too. Yeah. So you've been there, what, 30 days or? Yeah, about that. Wow. Okay. So what's your week look like? Like what's an average week going to look like for you moving forward? That's a great question. I I would love to know that myself. (laughs) So the last four weeks has really kind of been a crash course. It's been just getting so much information Mm. about here's all the types of things that the firm handles. And I've been really impressed at just the breadth of expertise that can be under one roof, so Mm. to speak. Everything from 
real estate transactions to Medicaid, Medicare reimbursements to fraud and abuse litigation. And then there's us over in the technology area dealing with cybersecurity incidents and data breaches and negotiating vendor contracts. Healthcare is such a behemoth in terms of the disciplines and the expertise areas and the kind of the niche areas that you could spend all year studying and still have only kind of scratched the surface. And so that's been really interesting. But I think day-to-day is really about answering a lot of client questions, just a lot of kind of compliance-related technology Mm -hmm. questions on, hey, can I do this? Or if we want to put this in one of our forms, is that appropriate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then obviously there's kind of a lot of ongoing matters. Mm -hmm. Organizations are dealing with a lot these days on the cyber front, third-party breaches, cyber attacks, you know, on on their own organizations. Ransomware continues to be just a complete thorn in the side of the industry. And so I think to answer your question, there's a lot of variety, a lot of different things to kind of seek our teeth into, but I'm very happy to have the opportunity to step in and help guide so many organizations through some challenging things. Yeah. And when you think about a health system and a law office or a law firm, you think about diametrically opposed cultures. (laughs) What have been some of the positive surprises you've learned so far about their culture? That's um, a great question. See on um, the healthcare side. So here's one thing that was kind of surprised me about the firm on the culture front is I don't know how maybe some other firms work, but our firm does not have an attribution. There's not a lot of competition. It's all about who in, under the roof, so to speak, is the best able to answer a given question. Hmm. So you could reach out to one attorney at the firm and say, hey, I've got a question about, we want to do this real estate transaction. And so I could go down the hall and bring in any number of real estate experts to come in and work on that matter. And it's kind of a whole firm approach. And so that really helps foster a culture of collaboration and mm, I love um, really just kind of reaching out a hand and saying, hey, can you teach me about this thing that I've not dealt with before? Mm. And everyone's so helpful. So that's been really nice. All to the service of the end customer, which is really nice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And healthcare customers, they need to move quickly. They need answers fast a lot of times. And that really helps drive the culture of the firm to really be client focused and put the needs of the client first. And at the end of all of those transactions, there's a patient on the other end all the time. And I think in healthcare, and certainly here at the firm, we understand that mission and are driven by that same mission. So having that alignment of values I yeah. think is critical if you're going to be serving healthcare. That's great. That's awesome. I know you're only three days into the job, but as you think about the next important priorities for you, as you look out over the next 12 months or 18 months, what do those look like for you? So healthcare has kind of got rocked a little bit by the web tracker issue, mm-hmm. right? right? Which kind of boiled up really mid to late 2022 yeah. and is still... I think you were one of our first customers to point that out, if I recall. Yeah, I remember yeah. working together on kind yeah. of trying to make sure we could address those questions in the yeah. in the question set. Yeah. But it continues to still be an evolving mm-hmm. issue, right? A lot right. of organizations are still taking a look at what's going on on their web presences and are having their eyes open to we mentioned third parties, generally kind of your marketing consultant type of third party organizations have not really been thought of as a cyber risk or right. as an organization that could impact your technology posture. But what a lot of organizations are seeing is that their marketing consultant companies have a lot of access into their mm-hmm. web platforms and have access to make changes and perform content updates on websites and things like that. And so I think there's been a big shift in understanding the scope of technology in a healthcare setting. It goes beyond even 
the technology that's on the floors, that's mm. in the hospitals, in the sites of care, it goes out into your billboards, right? There's an attorney here at the firm that has a phrase. He says, when your billboards become facilities, and that kind of means in today's digital healthcare era, you could mm-hmm. do a search on Google and then boom, you're in a telehealth visit right then and there. And so I think the web tracking issue continues to evolve. There's regulatory activity, uh, a lot of lobbying happening in that regard. And so I think that's certainly going to be an evolving space. But we mentioned ransomware, cyber attacks, third-party breaches, third-party risks, contracts, mm-hmm. negotiation, and kind of all the implications there. So yeah. there's certainly no shortage of focuses for healthcare in the uh, immediate and long term. How about AI? What are you seeing there? Yeah, a lot of focus on AI. A lot of organizations are drafting policies and kind of creating guidance on Mm -hmm. what is appropriate use of AI and certainly what data is and is not appropriate to be used within the common AI tools. I think the recommended approach still to this day is utilize vendors kind of purpose-built AI platforms for you, for healthcare. Don't go out to the public chat GPTs and enter data kind of with a policy guidance (laughs) supporting it. You really want to have agreements directly with the AI vendors that are building purpose-built for healthcare AI tools because they're so powerful. But in healthcare, you obviously need to do it responsibly. You need to use the technology responsibly. That's right. That's 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 a great point. That security and privacy is so critical. And right now, quite frankly, that's the gate limiter for us. Unless you host that model on your own platform, it's really hard to control who's getting what and how long they're saving that data and how they're using exactly. it. And, and what people... data was used to train it, right? That's, data, a big, exactly. that's a big question as well yes, is yes. everything you put into those tools becomes mm-hmm. a part of its right, model, right. becomes a part of its base of knowledge. And so- And we've done know. such a good job of understanding the offshore connection to our data. And now all of a sudden we introduce AI and it's like, okay, where's this going? Well, it's at Microsoft, but it can be accessed by folks in other countries. Wait a minute, what's going on here, right? So, uh, no, it's a really interesting area that we know will evolve and it's evolving very quickly. Just over the last year, how much progress we've made as an industry is incredible. So we're watching the space closely, but we think it's really for healthcare. You're going to be busy because it's a security and a privacy issue. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, (laughs) what isn't nowadays, right? Like healthcare exists on technology now and it's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And it's interesting because someone said the other day, the problem with cybersecurity is it's not a revenue generator, but actually it is in this case, because blocking your ability to leverage AI and leverage the capabilities, which could actually impact your top line. Yeah, absolutely. Cybersecurity is kind of the ultimate revenue enabler, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to ask someone like me, if you don't have an appropriate cyber program in place, there's a foreseeable future where you may not have a lot of revenue or, or a have job. a business, right? Yeah, exactly. So you certainly won't find a detractor in the importance of cybersecurity in me, but I think you're right. I think that fight is still being had in a lot of contexts, especially as budgets get constrained and mm-hmm. you know, healthcare is facing a lot of kind of regulatory financial challenges as well That's on right. the reimbursement side. And so all of that plays together. Yeah. And we've been through a pandemic as an industry and as a world. And obviously we're just starting to come out of that. I think the margins are starting to improve. We're starting to see some tailwinds there, which is good for everybody. And it's been tough on a lot of people. What are you most proud of personally and professionally over the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things that I was always most proud of in the CISO role was limited turnover on the team. As I think you hear a lot about kind of the cyber talent crisis, which 
I think is real. I think there's a lot of cyber shops that are struggling to bring in the talent that they need in order mm-hmm. to perform the engineering functions that they're being asked to perform and the workload that a lot of cyber shops have. I think that is absolutely true. And so that was one of the things I really, really was proud of at my previous organization is the low turnover among the team, right? Yeah. The commitment to developing staff and making sure that we're always asking them where do they want to go with their career and making sure that we're providing opportunities mm-hmm. for them to explore that within the organization. And sometimes, you know, they may go to a different part of the IT department or maybe even the different part of the organization entirely, but they're staying within the organization, which yeah. is ultimately what we want to have happen. So that's probably one of the things that I was always most proud of. But also program-wide is developing a program that met regulatory scrutiny, right? That, you know, when someone comes in and audits your program and takes a peek under the hood, you know, not having adverse actions come out of those circumstances right. is always is always the goal. You want to make sure you're, yeah. you have a defensible program. And so that's another yeah. thing that I was always very proud of. Awesome. So outside of this new role and outside of healthcare and IT, what are you most passionate about? What would you be doing? So I have an eight-year-old daughter mm-hmm. and my wife and I like to, we have a camper. And so nice. we love outside of work to hop in the truck, <laughs> pull the camper to the nearest state park campground. Nice. And yeah. Plop down for a weekend or a long yeah. weekend every now and then and just be out in nature and hike and spend time with friends. We kind of have a little group of camping nice. families that all go out together and, yeah. and sit by the fire on a Friday, Saturday night. And it's nothing better, nothing better than being out in nature. That's so true. Have you ever done the trail around the U.S. in the camper? Have you gone uh, to that, Wyoming? That's on the list. Or, that's oh, yeah. on the list. So we... Oh. Okay. The farthest we've taken it. So we're in Indiana, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. The farthest we've taken it is down to Tennessee. Uh, oh. We went to oh. the forests around Nashville, which is beautiful. That was yeah. a beautiful drive. But yeah. we would love to go out west mm. and see the big sky, Montana, yes. Colorado, big Arizona, sky. you know, make the western trip. Yeah. We have not been able to do that yet. That is on our list. Uh, so anytime soon or? Let's say, let's set a goal within the next two years. Oh, good. That's a good goal. That's reachable. <laughs> That's You're going to blink and it's going to be two years. <laughs> right. Is that Phil of the Tetons? Wait a minute. <laughs> I'll send you some photos. <laughs> yeah. Have you been to Zion? Have you been to Utah at all? Or? No, no, I have not. No, so no. I grew up in Arizona. And so yeah. I have been to Sedona, which is uh, beautiful. The Grand yeah. Canyon, beautiful. But I have seen amazing photos of friends and colleagues who have been to what do they call them? The big five. Yeah. In- Zion, Bryce. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful country. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be tracking you on that journey. Um, so if you could go back in time, Phil, and this is probably like three years ago for you, what would you tell your 20 year old self? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite three years. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. What I would say is... You're ageless, Phil. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I look pretty I, my... good for 28, right? <laughs> yeah, you do. You certainly, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thanks. My gray hair would beg to do. Yeah, yes, I know. I see that. To go back, I think, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I got and that I would try and instill in my younger self, because I don't think I really caught on to mm. this until later, is to really find your differentiator. Find mm. what makes you stick out like a sore thumb, I would call it. <laughs> find what that is. And lean into it because that's what makes you unique in your organization. And then be visible, be visible with it. And don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to engage in meetings and offer your ideas. And don't kind of be one of those folks that are content to sit back on mute, off video, just kind of listening and consuming. 
really lean in and engage. Just to give an example of that and how that ended up panning out for me is in IT, my differentiator was always the legal side of things, right? That made me stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> in a lot of contexts. <laughs> I bet. I tried to lean into that and, you know, mm-hmm. eventually and kind of that's what really helped me get into security and obviously kind of through the GRC lens yeah. of highlighting that and really to roll that into a career in cybersecurity. And then on the flip side, right now on the legal side, use the IT experience, which kind of makes me stick out like a sore thumb, but leverage those things. That's what makes you unique. That's what allows you to bring value that others cannot necessarily bring. We've all heard it. There's only one you. That's true in your work as well. And so I'm pretty find sure that's that true about me too. <laughs> oh, we all know that. I've been told that. <laughs> no, that's, but, that is great advice, Phil. In fact, that's unique advice. I don't think I've heard that yet on the show. So I appreciate it. I love when I hear different answers to the questions. And and mostly everyone provides a different answer. So it's pretty cool. But that's great advice for folks. So listeners, listen up. Phil's the real deal here, okay? If you want a path in law or cyber or both, check out Phil Davis. (laughs) Absolutely. Happy to have any conversations with any interested folks. It's a big tent in healthcare, cybersecurity. It's a small community, but a big tent. You can come from, it seems like any background and thrive in cyber and the community certainly needs you. Amen. All right. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. Phil Davis, what's the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, boy. (laughs) Keep it rated G. This is a uh, family program. (laughs) I have a funny story about this question. So I don't know, Ed, if you're familiar with cybersecurity practitioners and lawyers, but those have to be probably the two most risk averse groups. I do know that, (laughs) actually. Of anyone. And here I am having combined uh, two pursuits into one person. So you cancel one another out. So you must be risky as hell. Well, I don't know about that because so obviously knowing I'm coming on the Risk Never Sleeps podcast and being a a loyal listener, knowing that every guest gets asked this question, I posed the question to my wife. I said, what do you think is the riskiest thing I ever done? Interesting. And she... I'm telling you, she had a hard time controlling her laughter uh, when, when I was asking that question. Uh, well, saying, oh my gosh, sounds like my wife. Saying, well, you've never done anything risky in your life. And I, I kind of have to agree with her. But I would say this, potentially maybe uh, leaving one career that I was established in and, and pursuing a brand new one here one month in might fall under that umbrella. However, was I'm, I'm having that fun was, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> that was a layup right there. Yeah, that is pretty damn risky. <laughs> I would say you'd go to the dark side, but I'm not sure what the dark side is anymore. No, we're keeping it light over here. We're you keeping are. it light. You are keeping it light. I can see you. You've already settled into your office because your plants back Yeah, there. I've got That's plants. Awesome. You know, there's yeah. things on the wall. That took a couple of weeks. I was coming into what looked like a padded room here with just <laughs> nothing but bare white walls. And I was like, eh, I, I got to change that. We got to put oh. some color in here, some flavor. Yeah. Now, are you a Colts fan? Do you have any Colts paraphernalia hanging I around? Do. I oh, do. I do. Let's see. Let me, uh, Show you oh, my helmet here. Is. I'm yeah. sure there's some other. Is that a Johnny U helmet? Is that a Johnny United helmet? Th- you know, I think it might be. It's one of the old, <laughs> old I guess, school. the Rydells, right? Yeah. Which they don't yeah. wear anymore. It's got the Mm-mm. Brett Favre strap on it. I'm sure if I went and got a new one, it would have all sorts of new padding and yeah. uh, and electronics too. Probably, yeah, yes, probably, probably a radio <laughs> installed and all sorts of things. Uh, but I do have some plenty of Colts regalia around the office. Yeah, Listeners, we've gone off script here, so hold on. <laughs> We're going to bring us back. Uh, I'm going to ask you this question because I typically don't ask people it, and I think you probably will have a good answer. What are your top albums or movies that you would bring to a desert island? Oh, boy. 
That's not a fair question. I mean, it depends on the afternoon, right? But you're going to be alone on the desert island. The plane is going down. All right. Movie number one, no question. This is the easiest layup of the day. The Big Lebowski. That's oh, number one. My God. That's number one. Dude. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, that'll keep me entertained for so I assume no Eagles records in your collection. <laughs> no, the Eagles aren't on there. I would go Big Lebowski, my favorite. One of my other favorite movies, I love Russell Crowe. So A Beautiful oh. Mind is a oh, fantastic, great movie. Fantastic yeah. movie. I would take oh, wow. that one. Good. I got to put an album in here. What would be an album? I'm going to go with, okay, so some listeners that you'll be like, all right, Phil's my kind of guy. We grew up the same way. And then some are going to be like, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> my album is going to be American Football self-titled album from a Midwest Chicago-based What's lovingly called Midwest emo is my favorite, one of my favorite genres because of the guitar intricacies, some weird drum time signatures, which I love. Admittedly, the vocals are not the feature. You don't go for the vocals, you go for the music. But uh, wow, I was going to say American football. Iron Butterfly in a God of Vida, but you just blew that one out of the water with that pick. I told you, so it's off the wall. I was going to go off <laughs> well, the wall for my The good music. news is you're going to be on the island alone because I don't think I'll be joining <laughs> that island. <too. laughs> That's some weird stuff you got there, Phil. <laughs> I love your movies, though. I would definitely watch your movies. All right. I'll take that. Any last comments to maybe folks that are getting ready to graduate and looking for a degree or something to focus on, interested in cyber or healthcare or the law? What would you, what kind of advice would you give those Yeah, folks? I would say, I think there's kind of an emerging opportunity that I've seen in the GRC space of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. I think there's a real need for technically inclined people to get into GRC, which you would think, hey, I'm technically inclined. I need to go to engineering, right? I want to go be a pen tester. However, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the market right now for GRC folks who understand technology and can speak technology. I'm a little biased coming from the legal side of things, but I do think that that's a real kind of a market opportunity for someone who's just getting into the cyberspace is to really go out and focus, get technical skill sets, but focus on the GRC side of things. In healthcare especially, there's a lot of leadership opportunities, a lot of future growth in that area. I love that. And in fact, I was speaking with somebody the other day where it's such a great entry point into an organization because if you're in a SOC or you're a pen tester, you're very limited in terms of what you see, but you're a risk analyst or you're in GRC as an assessor, you all of a sudden got this huge aperture on the business. You get to see so much through that role. And again, you can start off as entry, mid-level, senior level. You've, you're afforded a number of ways to get into that area. So I love that. That's a great insight. And if you want to prepare to kind of be a CISO eventually, in your career, GRC is a great way to see the business as a whole. You'll see every software that comes into the organization, every piece of software usually goes through the GRC evaluation process. You'll touch it. You'll work with the business owners on Mm -hmm. each individual thing. You just get a really good view of the business organization, right? Which at the end of the day, that's what the CISO is there for is to support the business. And so I would just encourage folks to not overlook the GRC side of things. Yeah. Great advice. So Become an attorney or become a GRC expert. Either way, (laughs) there's a lot going on in healthcare. Come join us. Why not both? Why not both? (laughs) All right, Phil. Appreciate your time. As always, good to see you, sir. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And if you are on the front lines protecting patient safety and care delivery, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. 
Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thank you.